there's one in front of you. It should be on page 848. We'll be finishing up chapter 3 and moving into chapter 4 today. So 1 John 3, starting in verse 24. He says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as, though, as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard text this morning. And it's a hard text because we see the ramifications of it. We see what it means for our lives. So, Lord, by your Spirit, for your glory, would you help us now to be those who are known by the Spirit of the truth, which is you, Lord Jesus. Which is you. Lord, we thank you that you do this in us. We pray that you would do this all the more, that you would guard us from error, and that you would hold us in your truth. For this is our prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. So last week we, uh, we looked at the comfort that God brings to the conscience of those who may, their conscience may condemn them. If you, I would really encourage you to listen to that sermon if you haven't got a t time, because I thought, to me, that sermon was very, very helpful, even in my own walk. Uh, but this week we're turning our attention from, from inside of us to outside of us. Now if I told you, let me, let me pose a question to you. If I told you that you have an enemy of the soul somewhere outside of you that is currently raging against you both night and day, I wonder what would you think about that? For some, it would be shocking, I think. For others, probably, you probably are like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that there's an enemy of the soul. I know that th there's a war going on. But I think for both sides it is common to slip in and out of recognizing this war. I think it's very common. Even if we recognize there's a supernatural world, like, or, or just believe in God vaguely, generally, like we, we, still we still fall in and slip in and out of recognizing this. So if you're taking notes, or the, the notes in front of you, they're really easy today, because I didn't put any fill in the blanks, because there's a lot of material, and I really don't want to stress, stress us for time. So... Um, um, so if you're looking there at the top, if you get anything from today, get this. 
Since this world is filled with false prophets, we must test the spirits to determine if they are from God. And then secondly, by testing their message and audience, we will increase our love for the truth and so walk in the way of obedience. So notice with me down to verse 24. Uh, This verse probably should have been included last week, but we just didn't have time. We were in a time last week. But we'll just look at it together. So he says, now he who keeps his commandments, he's talking about keeping commandments, and now he's going to transition from keeping the commandments to actually the truth. He says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. So this first section is the abiding in God. And it's you in him and him in you. Now, we saw it in the last chapter that the com- keeping the commandments, the two commandments, were to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love our brothers and sisters. But we don't need, we should not miss the staggering nature of this. Let me read this again. Now, he who keeps the commandments, so he who believes on Jesus and loves his brother, he said, abides in God. And God abides in him. Let, don't, don't let that, let that amazing reality, that amazing truth sit on you for a second. That when we believe on the name of Jesus and we love our brothers, God can actually say, I abide in you. And you abide in him. Now he goes a step further. And it, this is exactly this, this abiding in, in him and us, we in him. It's the same thing that Paul talks about 70 times in his letters of being in Christ. And I find it interesting, though. Notice what he doesn't say. I like doing this sometimes because I think it addresses all the, na- all the ways we get this wrong. You know, John doesn't say that the believer knows God abides in him because he's perfect. He doesn't say that the believer knows God abides in him because he speaks in tongues. He doesn't say he knows God abides in him because of any other feeling he may have. No, it's none of these. Rather, it's obedience which shows that God abides in us and we are in God, which is then the presence of the Spirit. Listen to what he says in the back half of verse 24. And by this, we know that he abides in us. So it's, it's, it's in us keeping the commandment to believe on Jesus and to actually to believe and to love our brothers, when we do that, we know that he abides in us. And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 8, 9, when he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The way the spirit is manifested in our life is objectively in our life and in our conduct. It's not an inner light within us. It's not an inner feeling he doesn't say that God, that we, the believer knows God abides in him because of the presence of the Holy Spirit even. Let me say that again. He doesn't say that the believer knows that God abides in him by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think too often we make abiding in the Spirit an activity that's based upon feelings. And brothers and sisters, when this is the case... We, we waffle between feeling like God loves us and we're, we're over here and we, we know God loves us but we're not really sure and then we're back and forth. This is an objective reality, something we can measure and see. 
But then he's going to turn the coin just a little bit. So that's where he's been talking about. He's been talking about keeping the commandments or not. Now he's going to turn it just a little bit. And he's about to give us another test. And the test is truth and error. So picture with me. You sitting in a Bible study. You're sitting around the coffee and all having fun. And someone says, I know God loves me because he tells me all the time. And you ask them, well, how does he tell you that all the time? And they respond, he tells me that I, he tells me this all the time when I'm alone with him. Sometimes I even skip out on gathering with God's people because they just distract me from God telling me he loves me so much. My question is, how should we think about this person? How should we think about this? And I think Jonathan Edwards, he gives a really good quote. And I think it's just profound and we should, it, it should take more time. If there's a, a quote that summarizes today's message, it's this. The devil can counterfeit all the saving operations and graces of the Spirit of God. Let me say that one more time. The devil, the Satan, can counterfeit all the saving operations. So, all, so remember what we've been talking about. We've been talking about love and obedience. We've been talking about all these different things. He's saying Satan can counterfeit all of these. But here's the one he can't counterfeit today. And this is why I think the church so often has been known by the people who are doctrinal. They're truth-oriented. Because Satan can't, he cannot counterfeit this message. We need to recognize the spiritual realm is real, and that's true. That's a good thing. We live in a secular age. If we were to even say anything about Satan or the devil or God, people would be like, what are you talking about? But just supernatural isn't good enough. Notice even in in Genesis, it says, I think it's in Genesis, that God says that two-thirds of heaven fell. Or I'm sorry, one-third of heaven fell. So there's a supernatural realm out there that hates us that hates God, that hates his mission. So we need more than a supernatural realm. We need something that's true. And I think what John's addressing in the believers here is this, is that they were receiving, or maybe being challenged or shaken by their faith from people who were, they were being too uncritical of the teaching that they had been hearing. That people were standing up and saying, God told me that you have to have a special, a special gifting. If you don't have the special gifting, then you really don't know him, and then you need to listen to us. And they're saying, oh no, we don't have the special gifting. We don't have it. So, so how are we supposed to even know God? They were embracing anyone who stood up and said, God said to me. And it's this kind of context that John gives us this exhortation. Listen to what he says. Verse 1. Beloved... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, there's much that can be said here, and even beyond today, but the first section is testing the spirits, the need for discernment. John now turns his attention to those outside of the believer. So he's been looking at, like, the internal workings of the believer. Now he's going to say, outside of you. Look outside of you. And he's going to give us two overarching commands. Don't miss it. He says, the first is, do not believe every spirit. And the second is, test, test the spirits. So let's look at the first one. Do not believe every spirit. So I want you to notice something in your Bible. And pay very close attention. And this is, this is why, when we, when we study the Bible, we have to be very, very close. We have to look very closely at the text. 
Because if you notice, in the English language, when we capitalize something, it means we're, we're giving it a proper place. And when we lowercase it, it means we're giving it more of a general place. And you can see, actually, even what John's communicating very clearly in the original, because they translated this very well. Look at when it says in that first verse, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, lowercase, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And then down in verse 2, he says, By this you know the spirit, capital S, of God. And, and so as you're reading, you always need to be very, very careful. As you read, they're making an interpretation, okay? So it's the same word, but we just have to be very, very careful. Here's a very good interpretation, but just, just beware of that. So what does John mean by a spirit? You're probably wondering, well, Daniel, I've never really interacted with a spirit, so what do you mean by that? Well, Calvin, along with others, have said that what, what's happening here is John is metaphorically speaking. He's saying that when he says, don't believe every spirit, what he's saying is people are coming and speaking on behalf of God, and what you're doing is you're receiving it. And he's saying that, that behind every person who says, God told me, is a spirit. And John is warning, don't believe every spirit. Do not believe them. Do not believe every person who comes and says they're from God. Now, believing here for John means to deem worthy of a person's trust. The first step is not to entrust yourself to the spirit, to the person. When he says, do not believe every spirit, essentially what he's saying is don't place your trust in every spirit that he's actually from God. When we hear the word discernment, we should also hear the word for testing, to test. So what does John mean by testing? Okay, so don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So the word for testing here is to prove something to be genuine by testing. Now in the first century, the same word is used for like testing metals. And in, in the first century, they would use like take gold, for instance. Not a lot of people had gold, though if they did have gold, what they would do is they'd melt the gold down and when the gold, gold melts at a certain temperature, and it would melt, and everything that was not gold in it would be burnt up. And that's the kind of testing that John's talking about here. He says, you take the, take the metal, take the teaching, put it into a little thing, and burn it with fire. <laughs> just, just let the fire roll over it. Now, what's the fire here? Well, the fire is the Word of God. That we test all things according to the Scriptures. Paul, even in another place, he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, I think this is really interesting. Notice even too how he connects the spirit, not quenching the spirit, to prophecy. And he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain every form of evil. And John's saying, when you hear a teaching, even this teaching today, if, if I stood up here and said to you, Jesus isn't God. Don't, don't trust him. You know what you should say? Get out. <laughs> Go home. And don't come back until you change that. Even this teaching, even what I'm saying right now, needs to be held up and examined according to the scriptures. The Bereans in Acts, that's why Paul commends the Bereans, because you know what they did? They heard his teaching, and then they said, wait a second, let's go examine these things. I love what Jay Adams, Jay Adams, if you've never read any Jay Adams, you should read some Jay Adams. This is what he says about discernment. He says, there is no direction in this to consult your feelings about these pe this person or to expect any subjective prompting or checks. It is their teaching that must be examined. 
Okay, so when I stand up and, and I'm saying something to you, and you hear it's not quite in line with Scripture, to say, hey, Daniel, that's wrong. <laughs> like, that's not, you don't need, you're not saying to me, you're not personally attacking me. A call to hold up and examine every t- teaching. It's not simply to give ourselves to every spirit that may come to us. So John is urging us, not simply trusting every spirit, but examining them. So this means that when you hear me preach, and when you hear other people teach, that we hold up what they've said according to the word of God. Let me give you an example of how this actually probably plays out in your life. Remember how I gave the example of the Bible study? Well... Let me give you another one. You're sitting at, the, at a family reunion. And, I don't know, Uncle Jimmy, he's always been kind of crazy, but he stands up and he tells you about some new teaching he's found. And he's, he's trying to get everybody in there, everybody at, your, everybody at your house, hey, did you see this new teaching? Did you see this? Yeah, we're not really made in the image of God. We live in a generation that hates criticism. It hates questioning. Uncle Jimmy, what he needs in that moment is you to gently hold up, and you don't even have to do this with him. I'm not saying you need to go talk to him about it, but you hold up his teaching according to the word of God. And if it doesn't jive, then reject it. <laughs> reject it. So he, he goes on and he says, and this, hear me right, this can even be like sweet little ladies, like sweet little ladies that are part of your church. Maybe, could be. He's not giving, John's not giving an evaluation on the person. He's saying that behind every teaching is a spirit. And listen to what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. And here's the reason. Here's the ground. It's a cause for testing. He says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The reason John gives for the need to test every spirit is there are many false prophets. You probably have a false prophet who's a neighbor. Like, you probably have a false prophet you work with. Many people claim the inspiration of the Spirit. Many people claim to have a word from the Lord. Many people claim, God told me. God told me I didn't have to go to church. I was getting my tires changed. God told me I don't have to go to church. Hmm, interesting. It's things like that. John is stressing, don't believe them, but test them. We don't believe everyone who's claimed God told them something. They could be sincerely misled, intentionally or unintentionally. And he says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God. But listen to even how, how, and again, we need to be really clear. This does not going to look, people aren't going to come to you and say, hey, you know what, I'm a false prophet. They don't come with false prophet tattooed across their forehead. Paul actually says they come, Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. He's he's pushing against the false prophets who are the false apostles who've rejected the apostle Paul. And listen to what he says. For such men as are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising them as apostles of Christ, And he goes on, he says, and no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. 
Okay, so this, is, this ought to unsettle us a little bit. What I'm saying is if you're going to a reunion today, there'll probably be a false prophet there. There'll probably be someone who tries to tell you something that's false. You pull up your phone, you get on Instagram, you get on Facebook, you get on whatever, I guarantee you a quarter of your friends are false prophets. They don't even know it. And the problem is they look the same. Listen to what he says, though. And let me give you one more thing before we move on from this. You know what he doesn't say here? He says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. He doesn't say, hey, determine what their intentions are. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with college students that were like, yeah, I met a Jehovah's Witness, but he intended for good. And I'm like, he doesn't believe in the same God of the Bible. <laughs> like, or you meet a Muslim, and he, he, he's very kind, he's very gracious. Yes, they're more gracious. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Muslims are more gracious than most Christians that I know. But the teaching that they have, it comes from a spirit of error. They reject the truth, the apostolic truth that we're looking at today. And then jump down in verse 6, because this is kind of how John lays it out, the very back of verse 6. The next section is going to be laid out with the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He says, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's look at the spirit of truth. Here's the passing the test. It's the spirit of truth. And their identity, I would argue, the spirit of truth at least, is known by three things. It's known by their message. It's known by their identity. And then it's known finally by their audience. And then we're going to also look at some marks of what, what is a good, or what is true. What is the, the passing the test. So let's look at their message. So like I said, we don't, we don't want to judge a person's intentions in that way. We're not trying to determine what, what are they really meaning. Are they, are they meaning well for me? No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is to test their message. And he says this in verse 2. Look down to verse 2 with me. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now we need to remember something. John is addressing something very, very specific in his day. He's addressing, we've talked about it before, and I'll just mention it again. He's addressing Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that the Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism. It, it went with him his whole earthly life until he was crucified, and then the Christ left him. Okay? So that's the teaching. And he's saying, that's not true. He's saying, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and that word for has come means that he has come and he remains in the flesh. John's pushing against this Gnostic idea. He's saying that's not true. Just so we're clear, Gnostics in our own day would be people like Jehovah's Witnesses, or would be people like Mormons, or would be people like Muslims, okay? So this is not, obscure, this is not abstract and obscure. This is very down-to-earth, and every other religion on this earth rejects this. And we could talk about that. We could go on and on and on about all these other religions, but we're not going to do that today. But every other one rejects that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And he's clearly defending Jesus as both God and man. He is the one who came down, who took on flesh and became like us. So then we look at this doctrine, this reality of incarnation and resurrection. 
He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. If you want to know real quick where a person stands at with Christianity, ask them about the person of Jesus. Ask them. Just ask them, what do you think about Jesus? Why is he significant? It's possible that John's readers were confessing Jesus is Lord and were accepting that he came in the flesh or were, were denying, I should say it like this, they were accepting that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord of my life, but he didn't come in the flesh. He was just some phantom. And John is pushing back against this. He's saying that Jesus taking on flesh was not temporary, but it will last forever. In the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus will still be both God and man. And what John doesn't mean is that everyone who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, came in the flesh, we should believe either. Okay? So that's him applying a principle. Now look down in verse 6. We need to see the principle that he's, he's really laying out here. And we're kind of jumping down to the audience, but as he says, we are from God. That's the apostolic witness. Whoever knows God listens to us. Okay? So he's laying out something very, very important here. He's, he's saying that what we have said... And what we continue to say, if you reject that, you're rejecting God. And what he's doing is he's applying this principle to the incarnation and to the resurrection. So here's the mark. Here's the mark that we need to, the overarching mark we need to see. Is, is the message is love for Christ. Okay? And it's not just some vague, obscure Christ. When someone says they love Christ, you should ask them, define that for me. What do you mean by Christ? What do you mean by Jesus? Is it a Jesus you've made up in your mind? I can't tell you the number of people that have said, Jesus would never send people to hell. And I want to say, what Jesus are you talking about? Who do you mean? What Jesus are you referring to? Are you talking about the Jesus you've made up? Which Jesus do you mean? The, the, the true historical Jesus? Is that the one we're talking about? Or are we talking about another one that you've made up or concocted? No, it's love for Christ. And then don't get, don't miss this next part, what he says. And this is just so beautiful. So he, he talks about the spirit of truth in verse 2, but then he also talks in verse 4. And he reaffirms them. He says, little children, actually he says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The identity is child of God. You are of God. The comfort for those who remain in the truth is the, the fact that they are the ones who are of God. They are the ones who, like John has said, are of God. Now, we need to remember something before we understand the comfort of this. How terrifying this is. There are evil spirits right now, even probably within this church. That's what John's trying to say. He's even trying to say, don't just believe everybody. Because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's saying, test everything. Test absolutely everything. That's a scary reality. So he's reminding them. He's saying, hey, 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 you are the children of God. So as long as they don't believe every spirit and test the spirits, they have nothing to be afraid of. They don't have to fear those who disguise themselves as angels of light. They don't have to fear those who bring them to ruin. They don't have to fear those who seek to destroy them. Listen to the reason why. 
In verse 4, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. There it is. The overcoming the spirits. The word carries with it. It's the same word we've talked about it in verse chapter 2. It's the same word that we get for the brand Nike. Nike just means overcome. And this is the exact same word he's using here. In our, in our understanding, he's saying, you have overcome them. You have nakaoed over them. You've conquered them. You've prevailed against them. How could John say that? He could say that because the Lord Jesus has put the enemy realms to open shame. And in the cross, by faith in Jesus, he's saying, you have overcome them. Believers have already overcome the ones who are fighting against them. Notice too in verse 4, and he says, Little children, you are of God and have overcome them. Uh, yeah, because, because he who is in you. So here's the, here's, the, here's the thrust of it. He's not just saying, oh, well, you're great. You're great, Christians. He's saying, no, no, no. The one who's in you, and it's plural, it's talking about all of us. I love what one commentator said. He says, Christ is not present in the individual to any greater extent than the individual participates in the presence of Christ amid the apostolic fellowship as a whole. So he's saying, not just you, Lone Ranger Christian. No, no, no. He's saying you as you participate in the body. And there's a supremacy that rides in these believers. And you know what's amazing? It has nothing to do with us. It has not, you, know, you notice he doesn't say, look at how great you are. You're great at obeying. Therefore, you're, you will overcome them. He doesn't say that. He says, you will overcome them because the one who's in you is greater than the other ones. John grounds the fact that these believers have overcome the evil spirits in the fact that the greatness of the spirit in their own lives. The Christian can be confident in the face of danger because God resides in him. In the Mark 2, I gave a second Mark there, for the, for the work, the, the testing of the Spirit. Here's how the, uh, another test you can give. Is the Spirit that comes from God will hate sin. He will hate sin. But that's not all he'll do. He'll have an audience as well. Who's the audience? Look down in verse 6. He says, we are from God. That's the apostolic witness, we. We are from God. Whoever listens to us, and then he goes on and says, uh, by this we know the Spirit of God. He's saying that the one who listens to the apostolic witness that we have in the Scriptures is the one who is abiding and listening to God. And just so we're clear, that's a radical claim. That's a radical, radical claim. He's saying that if you listen to the apostolic witness, you are listening to God. So the question then is, who do you follow? Is it the apostolic witness? And the third mark is this. It's greater conformity to Scripture. Okay, now we're running out of time, so I want to look at the spirit of error. And you'll see this in verse 3 and in verse 5. So the spirit of er er error... It's failing the test. And I want us to look at two aspects of it, the message and the audience. So the message in verse 3, listen to what he says. Go back to verse 2 as well. He says, um, 
by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then he goes on and says, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, as we've seen, the Antichrist is one who stands in the place of Christ, who will one day be the ultimate figure that stands opposed to the Lord Jesus himself. And their message is very simple. It's worldly. You know, they don't ever talk. And in our day, it's not just worldly. I would almost want to describe it as it's humanistic. It's all about humanity. When they talk about the Bible, when they, they come together, they hear, they hear Scripture, everything's all about us. Everything's all about what we do. It's worldly. A person claiming, I acknowledge Jesus. The question we should ask them, is your Jesus the real Jesus? And here's how you'll know. They reject the incarnation. They reject the fact that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He's saying that they cannot, he cannot be from God. That's what they're saying. Now, I would argue, because John's, John's greater point is that these false teachers are rejecting the apostolic witness. So now he's applying the fact that they're rejecting the incarnation. I would go a step further to say, when people say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a gay Christian. The thing we need to say, see about it is we need to see what they're doing in that moment when they say, I'm a Christian, but I'm a gay Christian. So they're taking like a, a black marker basically and they're saying, all these parts of the scripture I really don't like. And we need to see that it's a rejection not of us. It's a rejection not of the church. It's a rejection of Christ. And Mark 4 is simple. It's love for God true God of Scripture and love for man. Here's the other way we'll tell. This is the last one, and then we'll, we'll close. It's the audience. The world listens to them. The believer should not be surprised that the spirit of Antichrist speak from the world. Even if they're a leader in the church, if it sounds like the world what it will do is it will attract the world. This means something for us. Here's the last one, and we'll close. When you look at a ministry, and you think, man, look how many people they're drawing. Man, look how many people they have. They have thousands of people. I heard a guy named, I'm not even going to say his name. He stood up at the Southern Baptist Convention the other week. I love the Southern Baptist Convention. I really do. I just came from there. But he stood up, and he said, I've grown this church. We're the biggest church in the entire convention. Look how great we are. And all I want to say to that is, if all of the world is listening to your message and they're loving it, I'm not saying we need to be critical in the sense of being cynical, that we never expect a revival, because we should always respect a revival. But we should be questioning and this is, we should test it to say, is it true? Oh yeah, the same guy who stood up and was saying, hey, look at how great our church is. Look at how many people are coming. Is the same guy who's now ordaining women. And he's now saying, oh, here's a part of the scripture. I don't really like it. 
Do you see? Do you see how quickly this begins to seep in? This is not something that happens overnight. This is something that happens years and years and years. So numbers don't mean anything in John's world. He's saying that, that doesn't matter. He says, you want to know why? They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Let me close with this. Beloved, verse 4, little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So as you consider testing the spirits in your family, testing the spirits in your workplace, know that you are of God. If you hold to the message, if you know your position, and if you are following the apostolic witness, then you are those who are overcoming the spirits of this world. We're going to move now into a time of communion. And I just want us to, uh, maybe if we could have uh, one person, one or two people to pass out the elements. It would be really helpful. We're going to move into a time of communion. Um, we're going to take of the body and of the blood, which are symbols. It's not the actual body and the actual blood. Um, yeah, just, yeah, if you, he's, Tony's coming for the second one.